Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means this is another episode of Money in the Bank. So, I didn't forget about trivia. Oh, good. So, we're still doing it. Um, Someday, maybe. I wanted to do a positive spin. So, anyway. So, what is the median savings account balance in America across all ages? Uh, Median savings account for everybody. Mm -hmm. Savings account balance. So, like, at a bank, not investments or any of that. Just, like, oh, how much wow. do people have in their savings account? Well, I'd say probably pretty low, like $1,000. It's actually 5200 Get out of town. So, I was There's really... a lot of people that I know that don't have more than $1,000 in their bank account. Yeah, so, half the amount of people don't have $1,000 in case of emergency. But this also only included people that have a bank account. Oh, skewing the data, skewing those the statisticians data. again. Um, but for people under 35, they actually have almost $1,600 saved. Okay, good. So I think that's pretty good. I think yeah. it's like a sign that people are saving money and then it's trending upward as they get older. And I mean, I think like saving $5,200 is a pretty good feat for most people. Yeah, so. it seems to be the case with a lot of, you know, people can hate the younger generation all they want to, but I'm seeing a lot of people be a lot more responsible with their money um, that are just coming out of school now than even 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, and you know, I feel like I always have been because I was in high school during the recession. So, you know, like I watched my friend's parents lose jobs and... That always just made me feel like I needed to have a safety net so something like that wouldn't happen to me. You know, like, we, how many foreclosures happened during that time? It was just crazy. So I feel like after you see all of that, when you're still going through, like, your teen years, it makes you really cautious. Oh, yeah. That people can get destroyed and, you know, be aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so today we're actually going to talk about investment order. So I think this is kind of a fun topic because you know I've had people ask me like when should I save in a taxable account or you know how should I prioritize saving for my retirement and having an emergency fund um so I think it's kind of I'm just going to talk through some generic advice I do want to have the disclaimer that obviously your experience might be different your goals might be different this isn't necessarily one size fits all but this is i'm just trying to offer up some good advice for most people right because this is this is a big question a lot of people have because when you don't you know when you're starting out or you don't know what to invest in or you don't have any of these accounts invested in you know there's a lot of options for people to look into so yeah how do i how do i stack rank those and say definitely do this one first and you know this one's not as good so we can push that one off until you've filled up all these other buckets yeah okay all right so let's jump in Step number one is to get at least $500 to $1,000 in the bank to cover any miscellaneous expenses. Because the goal here is, like, you're on your new path, you're, you're done putting stuff on the credit card, right? So, right. And this is, this is, like, just set-aside money, not, like, just in your checking account, but, like... This, this is in your savings. Safety money. Safety net money. So, like, if you blow a tire and you need to get new tire or... You know, I, things always come up and we've talked, you know, in the past about everything costs more when you don't have money. 
because you'll have to get on a payment plan or you'll have to get one tire instead of four, you know, and all these little things. It's just, it really is true. Everything costs more when you don't have money. So your first goal is to get, you know, that 500 to $1,000 to be able to kind of face the ups and downs of life. So, you know, I think that's something as we've, you know, grown with our budgeting, we understand that some months we're going to spend $1,000 and some months we're going to spend $3,000. So it's important to kind of have money we set aside to handle that volatility. So is this what you you would consider an emergency fund? So it's a start to your emergency fund, but step zero is to get like, you know, some money in there, but not necessarily a full emergency fund because that's, you know, between three to six to 12 months of expenses, depending on your conservative level. Um, and so I don't need you to go that far, but this is just like get some money in the bank to handle kind of like unexpected twists and turns. Okay, good. So that's step one. Step two is to match your company match in your 401k. So a lot of companies will offer three or 6% match. Do that, whatever that is. Make sure you're getting that free money. Right. And there's a lot of people, right, that are out there that have access to the 401k. And I know coworkers that don't do the match, right? Yeah. And I can't even believe it. Oh, yeah. I had a coworker that wasn't doing the match for years. And I was like, you're literally throwing away free money and thousands of dollars. Right. Because not only is putting it into the 401k a good investment strategy for you, for the most part, there's very small edge cases where you could maybe turn that money into more, you know, profitable revenue long term for you. But when somebody is giving you like an extra 6% of your income for nothing, like it's hard to beat that number. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, because that's a guaranteed additional income. It's not volatile with the market. It's just like you just get 6% more or 10% more or whatever it is for your right. company. So even if you, you know, are nervous about investing in 401k and having like stocks and bonds and stuff like that, you're automatically guaranteeing 100% return on your money. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's step number two is to is to match your company match in your 401k. Step number three is to build your emergency fund all the way up. So this is the, you know, three to six to 12 months of expenses that you hold in your savings account. Okay. This is what I was mostly worried about when I was in high school and stuff was like building that safety net as soon as I was able to start making money to like be able to put this away and say, in case anything happens when I get my apartment, like in case I can't pay the rent sometime or lose my job, like I want to be able to like live for a couple months, you know, six months or something like that without having to, like, worry about getting well, kicked out. and, you know, I feel like we talked about just a little bit ago, like, we kind of have these rose-colored goggles on now because the stock market has been good for so many years, right? Like, since we were in high school, it turned around and it's been steadily climbing back. But it can, the economy can take a dive. You know, I don't want to be, like, doomsdayist here, but it can take a dive at any point. And that's why people have emergency funds. And it's kind of interesting because I talk to more people now who don't have these and they're like, oh, but I'd rather, you know, have my money in the market growing interest. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what people said in 2006. And then just a couple years later, they lost everything and they didn't have, you know, that six months of living expenses to get by until they could get another job. Or until the market kind of rallied, right? Right. And just weather the storm, right, is what you need to do. So yeah. Having, so not putting the money into the market, keeping that full emergency fund in basically a savings account. Is that yep. what you're 
So like a long-term savings account maybe or something like that because banks offer that stuff, right? Or, or maybe like a certificate of deposit because you're not going to touch that money until you need it. Until right? you need it. But when you need it, you need it now. Right. So I actually, you know, I really, I say this a lot. People probably think like I love them or something, but Ally Bank it's not like we get sponsored to say this. Ally Bank is just a great place to park your money because they're offering 1.45% on their savings account right now. So you don't even have to put it in a CD. I mean, CD rates for a five-year CD are like 2% right now. Right. They just, so, yeah, because we use them. They just raised their interest rate again like a couple of weeks ago or a month ago yeah. or something. So, we, yeah, we were getting, like, 1% like a year ago or when we started with them anyway. And, yeah, it's already at 1.45 just for savings. Yeah. And my parents use their local credit union, and they're, like, lucky to get not even half of that. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> or credit unions get, like, a, not even a tenth of a percent. We have a credit union for our business account, and I think on our savings there we get a tenth of a percent interest. Mm-hmm. And at Ally we're getting 1.45%. So... Like, no affiliation in any ways. I've just been using Ally since 2010, I think I got an Ally account. And I know a lot of people say use local banks. Sure, do both. Have a checking account, you know, at your local bank or local credit union. But Ally is a great place to store that emergency fund because you get a little bit more interest on it. And honestly, it doesn't sound like that much money. But when you're holding, you know, three to six months worth of expenses in there, 1.45% ends up being a nice chunk of change. Yeah, for nothing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let, let your money make more money for you. Yeah. So, all right, step one was to save $500. Step two was to match your company match in your 401k. Step three was to build your emergency fund up. And step four is to start paying off any debt that has over 6% interest. So what type of stuff would that be? So that would be credit cards are a big oh, one. definitely that. Oh, yeah. Definitely <laughs> credit cards because those are like... 24%. It's good if it's like 14%, right? right. Yeah. Um, student loans, federal student loans are issued at 6.8%. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of student loans will fall into this. Uh, you know, another thing you can do with student loans, if you do have federal loans... But you have, you know, you're a few years out of college and you have good credit. Look at getting those refinanced. Rates are still low while they are rising literally every week. Like rates are going <laughs> up and up, like with on mortgages and on private loans. They're still low. So you might be able to refinance your current student loans, you know, for lower than six percent still. You might be able to get, you know, five percent or four percent. Um, which would be a good option because 6.8%, I remember I had student loans and I was like, really 6.8%? Like that's pretty high interest for something that literally everybody takes out a loan for or almost everybody. Right. So if I want to do that, who do I talk to? Do I talk to my loan officer for who I have the loan through today? Do I go through somebody else? So I would recommend going through somebody else. Um, you can't, like, I don't think you can go through federal, um, like the federal government to refinance your loans with them. But SoFi is one that's doing it. They've done a really good job and it's all online. So it's S-O-F-I. And you can hop on their website and just fill out a form and fill out your loans. And I think they have some of the most competitive rates. And I do believe they're in all 50 states now, but there might be a couple that they're still not in. Okay, cool. But they've been in the game since, gosh, at least when I had loans that I was looking at in 2012, um, and I, I looked at refinancing through SoFi, and they offered 
you know, something pretty good, but I was paying mine off in a year, so it wasn't worth refinancing them. Okay. I can link that on our website, too, to give people more information. So, all right. So, paid off debt. And then the fifth one is to max out your HSA if you have one. So, this is a health savings account, which you can get if you have a high deductible plan. Um, and the max for an individual is 3300 a year, I believe. And the reason I say to max this out is because you can keep it your entire life. So as you age and you have more medical expenses, you can kind of, this is like another fund, you know, you don't have to use all of the money in your 401k to cover your medical bills. You can use your HSA. And the beauty of the HSA is it's tax-free when you put it in, it accumulates money tax-free. And then when you go to take money out to pay medical expenses, it is also tax-free. So you never pay any taxes on any of this money. Right. So you're at some point between now and when you die, you are likely to have medical expenses. And this includes like doctor's appointments, checkups, uh, dentist appointments to a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really anything that you could you know do preventive maintenance for catastrophe related things, uh, pregnancies, right? Any, any you know, all, all that stuff. Um even up until the point when you're elderly and, you know, get sick and are in the hospital, you know, later in life, um, then great. So this is a no-brainer if you have access to this. And who, if you have an employer that has this, my, my employers have always had access to this, but I think it was new at the time when I was starting mm-hmm. that it was part of our benefits package. Can anybody do this even if their employer does not offer so it? So if their employer does not offer a high deductible plan, you cannot do it. Unless you opt out of your employer-sponsored plan and get a high-deductible plan on the marketplace, which I actually don't recommend because that's going to be more expensive (laughs) for you to do that. And it's not worth it at that point. Um, So, But, you know, most employers these days are putting high-deductible plans on their books. In the past year or two, I think I've helped probably about a dozen people pick their insurance plan and only one did not have access to a high-deductible plan. So it it is definitely a lot more common, and I think it's getting more common every year because it saves people a lot of money on both ends. Um, And we've talked about that a little bit in the past. Like, you know, a lot of people are scared of high deductible plans because it is really scary to think, like, I'm on the hook for $5,000 this year if my appendix burst. Um, But overall, big picture... You can actually save money if you're, in general, a young, healthy person. Right. It's a great... Statistically, it's the right decision to make because it is unlikely for you to suddenly have, like, huge medical expenses in the first year. And, of course, like, this happened to you where, you like, you signed up for your HSA at your first company and, like, within a year and a half, you had... Or almost six months, right? Six months. Six (laughs) months, you had, like, a ton of medical expenses. Yeah. Um, I maxed out my high deductible plan for $5,000 on top of student loans and just gradu- graduating from college. And it was rough, um, but I still believe in them. So. Right? I mean, you're yeah, you were a statistical anomaly there, right? But most everybody else you knew, anybody else that we've talked to since then, right? It's the right thing to do for most people. And I've been on a high deductible plan since then. And that was my only year of even coming close to my deductible. And every year since then, you know, I have some annual checkups and some, you know, visits here and office visits here and there. And I think between the two of us, we maybe spend $500 on 
all of our office visits and medicine. And that included me burning my hand. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I think on average, we don't spend as much. So it's nice when you max it out, you know, between the two of us, that's 6,600. And so when we only have $500 a year, we're able to save $6,000 for future future medical expenses. So at this point, if we have a year where we, you know, reach our high deductible max, we're not too worried about it. So, all right. So the next one, after you max out the HSA, now, again, this is also going in order of how much you're able to save. So once you like hit one of these, if you can't save any more money, then stop. You're good and you're doing better than most people, right? If you if you make it to step two on this list, you're doing better than most people. So I don't want to discourage anybody by having this big long list. But, you know, if you can keep saving more, I want to make sure you know where to put it. Right. So. If, yeah. If you have like a four to six months emergency fund then you're doing great. Yeah, you're doing better than 90% of Americans. So, but if you have that and then you're like, what do I do now? Because I'm saving mode, you know, here's what's next. Um, So we are on to step number six, max out your IRA. So for an IRA, for a W-2 employee, you can save $5,500 a year. Um, And I recommend maxing that out because again, it's another tax benefit. Yep. So, and there's two types of IRAs we've talked about before, right? There's traditional or there's Roth. One is you pay the tax up front before when it goes in, and one is you pay the tax coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are based on current tax rates of you at the time when you do those activities. Correct. And that's the same for 401ks. There's traditional and Roth. So I recommend that you look at your personal tax rate each year. And if you think that you're making less now than you will in the future, then go ahead and put it in Roth because that means you'll pay taxes on it now, but then it's tax-free later. And you should specify what future means because future doesn't mean when you're the CEO of the company making $500 million a year, right? Uh, it means when you're basically in retirement, you're not making any income anymore and your tax bracket drops right. off the map because you don't have any income. Well, so, you, so right. you do have income from your 401k. So if you're... Right, but it's, it's only from that. It's not in right. addition to an but additional But if you're income. if you're single right now making, you know, $30,000 a year, then Roth is probably the right answer because you're already in one of the lowest tax brackets. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, because you might, you might have a partner in the future or, you know, just because of inflation, you might be drawing out more than $30,000 in the future. Who knows how they're going to adjust tax rates? So... You're either going to be in the same tax rate you are now or a higher one because you can't go lower, right? <laughs> um, so Unless they rebuild the whole tax code, which, which you nev- they you never know. You never um, know. So I recommend Roth for people in that scenario. For us, we're dinks, dual income, no kids. So it makes a lot of sense right now because we're obviously paying the highest taxes that we ever will um, to to put it into traditional because that means we get the tax break now and we'll pay taxes on it later when, you know, we either draw less out in our retirement or, you know, we have more tax deductions a year right? <laughs> or credits. So, um, yeah. And one other thing I wanted to note is if your income is too high to contribute to an IRA, then switch this step and go ahead and work on maxing out your 401k instead of contributing to an IRA. 
Because if you're not getting the tax benefit, then it's not really worth doing it. That's the point of it, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're basically, it's they're similar accounts. They're basically the same kind of thing, investment vehicle, only they have different input, uh, you know, con- constrictions. Yeah, and the only reason I say to max out an IRA before maxing out your 401k for most people is because you, if you're choosing an IRA, you can go to any provider. You can go through Vanguard, you can go through American Funds, you can go through Fidelity, right? You can pick anybody and you can pick the whatever funds you want, where a lot of companies you can only pick from the pool of funds that your company has mm-hmm. as an offering. So, you know, my company has fairly good selections with good expense ratios. But, you know, if you're working for a company that has more limited fund selection, then doing an IRA just gives you more freedom in there. And it helps with diversification because it's not all just in the same five funds that your company offers. Right. And and either way, both vehicles are yours. You can take them with you wherever mm-hmm. you want. You can change providers. Uh, you know, uh, if you leave your company, you can take your, your 401k comes with you personally. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Because I had an IRA and set it up and then I switched it into uh, American funds later on, uh, yeah. you know, like years after I had already put like, you know, a lot of money into it. So the one catch there is make sure you look into your company's vesting strategy, because we talked about the company match. And, you know, if you have a five year vesting period, that means that you don't actually get the match to take with you unless you work there for five years. So they put into your account in year one, and you can see the balance, but somewhere on the website, it'll tell you like, vested or 100% vested. And once you are fully vested, that means all the money is yours to take with you. Where if you leave before that, you know, maybe half the money they they contributed will stay. Right. Any Um, money you put in is yours. Any money you put in is yours. I just wanted to clarify Otherwise, just, yeah, just read the contract of your particular agreement with Mm -hmm. your company. All right. So then the next one, after you max out the retirement funds, is to pay off any debt with... Interest greater than 4%. So this might be car loans. And really, even if you have a car loan that's like 3.5%, I would probably just focus on paying that off because it's a depreciating asset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, you know, even if you don't pay it off aggressively, don't delay it. Don't like try to refinance your car terms and extend that, right? Just pay it off. And really, I say... I don't think people should pay on cars for more than five years ever. So I think get a five-year loan of whatever you can afford and get it paid off. Right, because a car a car loan is not the same as you treat your mortgage, right? Like your house no. doesn't depreciate the same way, right? It doesn't fall apart after like 20 years, you know, or usage. You know, the more you use your house, like the more it's going to fall apart, right? Well, things do break down and you keep repairing it and you keep repairing it and you basically keep repairing it forever. Vehicles are not that the same boat, right? So you basically have a shelf life of your car. The more you drive it, uh, the higher that odometer ticks up and eventually it's going to explode on you, right? So, and you don't get your money back. So if you still have a loan on that car and you've used up all the the worth of the car, uh, you know, that's a scary situation to be in because then you're underwater on the vehicle. You owe more on it. You can't, you don't have a clear title, so you can't even sell it without paying off the loan first, mm-hmm. right? It's just a lot of problems. And then you're it. never going to get into another car. Yeah, it's just, it's a slippery slope. So I always say like, you know, unless you bought a car, you know, sometimes dealerships will do like 1% interest. Okay, then get that 1% interest. 
you know, have it for five years, but but don't extend it past that. You know, now they're offering car loans up to 10 years and some people drive so much that that car is not going to last 10 years. Right. So, you know, that's, that's something I always say, just kind of pay it off. Um, but outside of that, you know, anything over 4%, which, you know, most houses now have probably been refinanced to under that. And if your house is slightly over that, you know, you could go either way. Um, the next step here is to invest in a taxable account. So, you know, if if you want to, if you have a house that has maybe 5% interest, but you're like, okay, keeping that, then I'm not going to be, you know, either way here. It's kind of a toss up. You can invest in a taxable account or you can keep your, you know, pay off your debt aggressively. I think either way, you're going to be very happy. Mm-hmm. So by the time you get to making this decision, you're doing better than like 99% of people. So <laughs> like, honestly, you really can't choose incorrectly at this point. Right. Unless you just throw it all away on the, on the horse races. Right. <laughs> but even then, like, I don't know if people are maxing out their retirement accounts and HSAs and paid off all their debt above 6% and have a well-funded emergency fund. If they have a bad habit of throwing money away on horse races, who am I to tell them they can't do it? <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess they made good decisions up to that point. Um, oh, and one thing I did want to mention, if you are contributing to a 529 plan, this is kind of a good slot to fit it in. Um, or even, you know, depending on your timeline, you might want to bump that up a little close, you know, before you fully fund your retirement accounts. And that's for 529s are for college investing for your children. Okay. Yeah. So we've talked about that one other time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, you know, another tax free vehicle that you can use. And so you can kind of move these tax free accounts around as you see fit for your goals and your strategy. Um, Again, this list was kind of just to provide a good big picture view of like, where should I be putting my money? I know when I graduated from college, it was kind of overwhelming because you graduate college with, you know, some money in the bank, but not very much at all. And you all of a sudden like have to come up with money for a security deposit and first month's rent. And you have student loans that you get to start paying on the very next month after graduation. Um, and, and, and people are telling you to have an emergency fund and it's kind of all overwhelming. So hopefully this, you know, episode really helps break down kind of how to structure some of that so that people understand. And, you know, I, I would always stress myself out about it and be like fretting that I was making a bad decision. And so, so who on the, in the audience here is this most applicable to? Obviously the younger that you are, the earlier you can get into IRAs and 401ks and mutual funds and any kind of investment that gives you compound interest over a long period of time is going to be the most beneficial. But at what point, like if I'm 45, should I still be contributing to my IRA and 401k and the same advice? Um, Absolutely. This this is the best thing about this advice is it is it stands up at any age, um, except post retirement, because at that point, you're not really saving anymore. You're spending. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So you, even if I can get even if it's the last five years of work for me, basically, it's still a good idea to put it into that 401k. It's and, the best idea, because in five years, you can get all that money tax, you know, that's like the home stretch for you. Like you're getting those last five years of tax benefits and you can start taking, you know, it out in five years Mm -hmm. and definitely having your money in a 401k or IRA as you move into retirement is the best place for your money to be because that opens up a lot of doors for freedom at that age. Um, You know, I think 
actually, when you're younger, there's kind of an argument of maybe you should prioritize investing in a, a taxable account so that you have, you know, I'm in my 20s right now, so then in my 40s, I have access to money that otherwise is, you know, in a protected retirement account. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of something there. There are ways to, to get money out of taxable accounts. So it's called like a Roth conversion, and you can contribute to a traditional IRA and then roll it over into a Roth. And then any Roth contributions, you can take the contribution amount out tax-free at any time. Um, but, you know, that stuff is all kind of tricky. So some people just prefer to invest in taxable accounts to have a nest egg for their midterm money, mm-hmm. which is a great decision as well. So, you know, I think this advice, it, it's kind of for all age ranges. I think especially if you are in your 40s and 50s, and you have not been contributing to your retirement account very aggressively, then it is very important for you to try to max those out. So, Great. All right. Is there anything else? That was a, a lot of information. That is all. So yeah, this was a very information-dense episode. So as always, if people have any questions, I will put my contact information in, and I'm happy to answer any questions by email or if you leave a comment on our website. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.